Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. The priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. Into. It. Make it so. Now it is time for Bite Into It, where we discuss everything that is new and exciting and interesting and thought-provoking and terrifying in the world of computers, new technology, and everything that goes on behind that little screen that you're holding in your hand. Uh, With me in studio tonight is Ash Keller. Ash, how's it going? Well, well, thanks, Dan. Good to be here. It's, it's been a few weeks uh, in between. It's great <laughs> shows to have you. It's nice. It's nice to have have you back. Um, and we also have Mr. Dan Morganti. Hello, Dan. Hello, hello. How's it going, Salmon? Yeah, very well. My name is Dan Salmon, and it is great to be with you <laughs> this evening. We'll, we'll try not to confuse you with the number of Dans in the room. <laughs> Tonight, um, how can gaming be a bit more accessible for people with a disability? Um, A group of students from the University of Melbourne has been tackling this very question, and we have Dr Sam John, who is a senior lecturer in neural engineering at the University of Melbourne, joining us in studio to take us through the details. But before we get to that, there has been news, and Ash... Some news, some news, definitely another week um, in tech. Um, Firstly, uh, an update um, on the need for emergency mobile roaming um, a week after the ACCC report was released. Um, So Telstra, if I'm right, has, um, yeah, uh, started testing um, the potential to share their mobile towers for emergency roaming so that other um, uh, people with mobile uh, phone service alternative providers can, can access the Telstra um, towers in, in natural disaster cases. Fantastic. And obviously very important as we head into what is probably looking to be a pretty gnarly fire season. Entirely. So, yeah. So yeah. I, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a bit overdue, but it's good that, um, you know, even after perhaps a little prompting from the ACCC, which may or may not have been necessary, uh, Telstra are finally coming to, coming to the party. Mm-hmm. 
Other, other, other parties that we should probably be coming to. Oh, man, that was a terrible segue. <laughs> that was a terrible segue. And also seg- segues are also related to this one. Tel- uh, Tesla have uh, won a lawsuit. Now, uh, for those who have been following it, there have been you know a few f- uh, crashes and fatal uh, malfunctions of the self-driving autopilot uh, Tesla cars, particularly in the United States. And... Um, People and families of members of uh, people who have been injured and killed in these particular uh, uh, incidents have taken Tesla to court. But it looks like in this particular instance, uh, the first verdict that um, that uh, came out yesterday, um, the, the uh, te- Tesla have won. So essentially, uh, juries declined to find that the software was defective. Uh, the argument was that uh, essentially, if uh, people people are still in control of the cars, even though the um, the, the the cars themselves are, are, are quote unquote self driving. Uh, how how are we feeling about this? It's it really is a messy. It's the cable car scenario, but for just, uh, um, autopilots or cars. So mm. um, I remember when they first started talking about autopilot, and they were saying if there's a if a car is driving down a hallway with no ability to stop or turn, and there's a, a grandma on one side and a baby on the other, and it has to make a choice. Like the there's all this like philosophical stuff going on in the background. And I feel like we're getting to the legal. Uh, side of things now and uh yeah i'm not so sure it's a good thing that it's coming down uh in favor of the car manufacturers no mm-hmm. uh, there's cer- there's certainly a level of responsibility though and, and and i suppose we kind of get to that often when you know a platform is becomes a platform for things like hate speech or things mm-hmm. that are damaging to people either physically or emotionally or mentally mm-hmm. The, the the people who create the platform kind of wash their hands of it. It's like, no, it's all the user's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, We're done. Our work is done here. Yeah, that's it. We created <laughs> this, is, this thing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's you know, guns don't kill people. And you're like, the, the guns are used to kill people. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, we, we, just, uh, we just created it. We profit from it. We monitor it. But we, it's, not our, it's not our fault. Like yeah. The, um, I feel like it's that scenario with the cars as well. Definitely, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, I for one would be hoping for greater accountability um, in, in, in what we're, you know, we're likely to see more and more of these cars yes. around um, yeah. in more situations of the sort. So. Totally, and I, and I mean, sadly, I don't think we're going to be <laughs> seeing Elon put his hand up for more accountability on anything. No, but we can... <laughs> well, talking yeah. about accountability, uh, oh, another that was segue. A good, that was an excellent segue. Good segue. <laughs> um, Woolworths is introducing, well, Woolworths and Coles are introducing more surveillance measures to spy on consumers as they peruse the aisles and self-checkout. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the issues that these companies are having with people perhaps putting all their fresh produce avocados through as uh, brown onions. I know no one here would be subject to such uh, I have villainy. no idea what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. And if I hear anything about it in court, I will be taking you <laughs> back there. Um, look, it's it's interesting that the, the evolution of this whole um, self-checkout technology mm. and, I'm, you know, Anyone who says that they haven't scanned brown onions or scanned something as brown onions is lying. Yeah. Um, but I've, I noticed the like as they're putting in the new the, the new cameras that are kind of over the top and you can see yourself reflected at the screen and it's like okay so I know that it's watching me. Mm. But then at the same time, you know, you put your brown onions on the on the on the on the scales that's the word i'm looking for yeah and the camera kind of has a bit of a guess at what it might be like it's like oh, it could be brown onions or it could be a brown apple or perhaps it is and like oh, okay you you think 
that's a small trade-off to save me a couple of clicks to find the vegetable that it is. Yeah. Yep. But also, I wonder, like, if, if I was to, you know, put in put down the banana and then, you know, like, navigate away from the bananas and the other yellow fruit and put <laughs> and put a, in as a, as, a, uh, as a brown onion, would that kind of, like, set off sirens in Woolworths HQ and they'd, they'd send out the SWAT teams? Well, I yeah. think all that ever happens... like, a, a cage coming down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that, that's the next evolution. Yeah, so yeah. cameras and then cages coming down. Well, all that ever happens is a disinterested uh, self-service checkout attendant comes over and just goes, yeah, and pushes the... scans their pass and pushes the button. So... Like the, it seems like their self service checkout attendants are complicit in it as well. Well, well, I mean, let's not let's not talk about how people get treated as employees of these companies. Yeah, exactly. But, but certainly, look, I, I am, I, I'm in favour of safety. Certainly, the you know the earlier point that we had about the body cams on staff members, particularly mm. uh, for people who are at risk in you know of abuse or violence in their workplace, that's never on. Yeah, and if if those particular cameras do stop or limit that from happening, then I, I, I think that that's possibly a, a, a um, price that I'm willing to pay. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, the, um, the, the, the creepy camera over your head while you, while you scan through your um, avocados yeah. as brown onions <laughs> is... And it's not like you can't just pretend to scan it through and make the noise yourself. Beep, beep. <laughs> I've seen I, I, people do that. Look, I, I, I knew someone who became very good at whistling the sa- a sound that sounded incredibly like the Mikey scan so that they could get on and off public transport. <laughs> and then they changed the machines to be a, a much harder to emulate. I mean, imagine you could walk around with, like, I don't know, a lyrebird or something that can, like, copy the, copy the noise. Yeah. All right, we're getting uh, perhaps, perhaps a little bit too creative. Triple R. Uh, video games. Approximately 17 million Australians are playing video games on the reg, and that's that's a great thing to see. Um, but there are uh, some limits, uh, limitations for people who are experiencing disability. Uh, a group of uh, bi- of biomedical engineering students have at the University of Melbourne have. Uh, I've been attempting to tackle this tricky problem. And uh, Dr. Sam John, who is a senior lecturer in neural engineering at the University of Melbourne, uh, has come in to give us a bit of a lowdown on what's been going on. Sam, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. Dan, Dan and Ash, great to see you all. <laughs> great to have it's, you. It's, it's easy to remember when two people uh, have the same name. Mm-hmm. I, I, like there are so many Dans in my family. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> um, so, so, Sam, maybe did you want to give us a bit of a, a sort of... a, a, a Brief rundown on what the project was and 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 what then the problems you were trying to solve. Yeah, uh, look, I, I work in this field called brain computer interfaces, and basically it means that it's a way that we can use brain signals to interact with computers. Now, as I was working in this field for like uh, over ten years now, I've been thinking of how do we get this to people now rather than in another ten or twenty years down the line. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, oh, you know what, we could actually help some people play video games. It'll be easy for someone to be able to use some of the technology we've got. And I was talking to, um, to a group of people at a function at the, at the university, and Roland was there, Roland's Jerome's father, um, a, a kid with cerebral palsy. And Roland, uh, as we were talking, uh, I mentioned that this was a thing that we wanted to do create a video game controller for people who are paralyzed, who can use the controller. And he said, my son's got cerebral palsy. Um, can you do something for him to play it? And we hadn't even considered that cerebral palsy might be a condition where people who want to play video games um, could use that. 
And so we started talking. We said, all right, let's let's get started. We'll do something. And we had a group of students who uh, jumped on board who were very excited, Fidel, Karen, and Aswini, who uh, jumped on board and did a great job with the project. And and I suppose... What what was the what were the what was the challenge? So for for people who uh, experience cerebral palsy, like it can manifest itself in many different ways. Uh, what 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 was the um, the I suppose how how did how did the controlling kind of work for this for this um for this yeah. particular instance? Yeah, no, you're right. It it does manifest in a lot of different ways, and it's very it's varied from person to person. Um, Jerome particularly has a um, complex cerebral palsy where he can't move his hands very well um, and he he also can't support himself very well. So he uses a walker to walk um, and um, with his hands he doesn't have fine motor skill but has gross motor skill. Um, So he needed something that he can use with his hands. When Jerome first, when uh, Roland first talked to us about this, we were thinking we'd put these electrodes on their head so we can record his brain signals. Um, and one of the first few conversations we came up with was Jerome doesn't like anything touching his face. Mm-hmm. Like he has a, a bit of sensitivity, which means that we can't go near his uh, face, which meant that we had to change the entire way that we were thinking about this. Um, and so we went back to the drawing board to think about what do we want to use. We came up with three options. One was a touch switch, um, which was big enough for him to use. Um, a kick button, which surprisingly, even though it's very simple and we think it could happen, it's easy enough to do. There isn't anything out there that does a kick button. And something that tracks his body movements. So if he's in the chair, how he moves left and right. Um, or he moves his head forward, back, it'll be able to track that. So we came up with those three ideas, took it to him, and we thought one of those ideas might work. Um, But uh, Jerome did really well. He actually liked all three of them for a different (laughs) reason. He loved kicking the kick button. Um, His dad was saying it, it... he was kicking the button more than he would do when his uh, uh, physio told him to move his legs. So he was actually enjoying <laughs> kicking the button a lot more. Um, so, yeah, it, we did those three. He actually used all of them to play the video games that we gave him. Um, this is not about the technology. Just what games was he playing in particular, just out of interest? <laughs> That's about technology. That's yeah. a tech question. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm trying to remember. So there were there were a few different games, but we started with a few two-dimensional games. So we the ones that he was playing was called Maze Runner, I think. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong with that one. Uh, there's a few uh, running games. Basically, you're going running in a straight line. You move left or right, or you can jump over obstacles, and you can add more complexity to it as you go, um, how high you jump, uh, and all of those details. Um now, I'm trying to remember what other games. There's a whole range of ones we tested. We tra- tested the classic Pac-Man. Um, you, uh, what else did we have? Um, you, Snake, uh, Pong, um, <laughs> Space Invaders. There's, there's a whole range of games you can play, which is fairly straightforward, mm. um, and we can introduce a controller for any of those. Sure. Mm. And, awesome. and, and the controllers themselves, the way, did the, was it like when I, hear, when I hear the word kick button, I'm thinking like, you know, like a, kind of like a buzzer on a game show, almost like just like one big button. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about, or did it have a bit more intricacy and, and I suppose utility than just being like a, a button you push? Yeah, so the kick button, for example, uh, yeah, it is, it's not too much different from a, a, a button that you might press, but 
it, it's something that you can kick. But one of the things we had to do was you couldn't just kick it in. Um, you couldn't. You can't design the button to only kick in the middle. And so most of the buttons, you have to press them really hard so it goes down straight. And when you design a kick button, if you kick right in the center, you'll only um, get it when you hit it in the center. If you hit it in the sides, it'll miss. So we had to design it in a way that it didn't matter where he kicked it, um, he will always get a, a result from it. And we wanted it to be a two-kick button. We ended up with just one because he liked kicking the one button and he had a great aim with one, but if you had multiples, um, it, it was harder. Um, cool. ad- adaptive controllers have been getting better and better over um, the uh, over the last few years. Like, what's the what's the leap between what we have now and what you guys are developing? Is there uh, is there a, a, a room for this to become commercially viable? Yeah, so it, it's a great question because the one of the reasons we actually got started on this journey is because. There is a lot of technology out there, but when we talk to individuals, none, the technology is not quite suited for that person. Um, and that's one of the big challenges of this area is that you, you can make something that can work for everyone, but when each person's circumstance, what they're learning is different, um, adapting that to them is a lot of work. And if you ask a company to go, can you change this to make this? They can't do it because it's too expensive. The overheads are really high. Um, so what we're doing is to make it really customizable for that person. Now, even with Jerome, um, he's eight. Um, his needs today is very different from what it's going to be three weeks, three weeks, three months down the line. Um, for example, when we went to him, he was finding it hard to move his body uh, to control the game uh, or move his head. But we were able to adapt it to move control um, by moving his body rather than his head. You couldn't do that with most commercial software. Or if you buy something like that off the shelf, it's set for a head. That means you can't use that to control something else. So it's things like that which make it really hard. And so making it personalizable is great. Um, is there a commercial potential? There's different ways of thinking about the commercial potential, but um, in terms of the product itself now, it's really built for Jero, and we can adapt it for another person, and we can adapt it for the next person who needs it, um, and we can take it from there. Um, Great. Um, just curious, is this... Um, so you've been working with a group of students at Melbourne Uni. Um, is this the first time that you've developed a kind of like this kind of a device, like a, a kind of yeah? I mean, I want to call it assistive technology for for video game control. Um, yeah, what what um, have you done previously that perhaps um, yeah this this work has progressed upon? So, so I started off with brain computer interfaces, which is um, my main area of research. Mm. Um, and I've been working with a company called Synchron, which was uh, born from uh, from within Melbourne. Um, and now uh, they're building these communication apps for people with paralysis, which is great work that they uh, are working on. Um, once I finished with Synchron and I was working on uh, these other projects that I was doing, um, we built a couple of video games just as a way to entertain people who came to open days. So we have a open day uh, every year. 
students come in or potential students come in um, and we connect some electrodes to them and they play Space Invaders usually. So we did that a um, couple of years ago. Um, we did that last year uh, or rather this year. Um, yeah, yesterday we went to my daughter's school and we got the grade threes to play the video game just using their muscles rather than using their fingers to play on the game and they had a great time. So we've done a few things like that but we've never taken it out of the environments that we're currently using like uh, kids, um, people in the lab, okay. um, experimentation. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess um, we haven't asked yet, but we um, yeah should definitely. Um, just in terms of when you after the development of this device with the different buttons and the um, yeah adaptive kind of motion tracking, um, what was Jerome's response? How uh, yeah? How did he experience the device? Yeah. Um, he, like every video that we captured of him, he was smiling, having a great, great time. Um, he was enjoying playing with his dad, who was sitting with him when he was playing the first time. And then he started playing by himself and he was having a great time. The smile on his face, the entire time he was smiling, there was a potential sometimes where he was like, oh, it didn't quite work. And then he somehow worked out that there was a way around it. So mm. he was kicking the button at one point, And then he realized that if he just held it flat without kicking it multiple times, it just kept doing what he wanted it to do. So he just held it there for a while. So he was just exploring the different things that he was given. Uh, and he was really interested in doing that. So, so I'm interested in that kind of development of, um, you know, adapting to the to or learning about how the, how the how the system works do you see perhaps that there are benefits therapeutically for these kinds of technologies you mentioned before that um uh, jerome's physiotherapist was talking about the ability to kick and the amount of the kicking he was doing is there is there uh, is there an application in that sense or do you think it might be better just to keep the fun and the and the kind of work of rehab separate uh, i think rehab would be so much better if it was fun um, <laughs> my physiotherapist gave me lots of exercises and I don't do them um, and so I think if it was fun maybe I would do it a lot more uh, I think they, they kind of go together uh, particularly for kids um, if it is fun they will do a lot of things just for the fun of it um, uh, this morning my daughter was finding it hard to make breakfast and I said hey how about by the time I do this and come back uh, we'll have a competition we'll see who wins and by the time I came back she had done everything that was on the list to do having fun is just it's a part of development and I think he was developing he was having a great even in that small period of time you could see him adapting to different challenges we gave him three different buttons to work with it on the same day and he was able to just learn that quickly and he would keep yeah yeah i think if we were to give him that more and more he would be able to learn more and develop more as well um there's certainly some research around it uh, but we haven't done enough research with this particular um device what's um what's next for the um this program and the adaptive controllers yeah so for this program uh, what we're current what we're going to do next is we are looking for other users who might want to explore different possibilities um, and we want to give them the opportunity to play um, play a few games with these types of controllers we'll build something custom for them um, we're also looking for other people particularly we have a lot of students who are really keen um, and they would always um, you put their hands up if you uh, ask them to do something 
Um, but we'd also look for professionals, people who are working in the workplace but have some time that they want to give to the project, um, who want to come and mentor our students, which would be a great way of interacting with um, professionals who are working in the area, who are working in electronics or working in software development to come in. Um, and yeah, that would be a great, great way to move forward. And and if anyone out there and lis- listening thinks, yeah, I, 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 I'm that kind of person, I want to get involved, how, how do they get in touch? So we have an expression of interest form uh, online and on the article as well. Um, now, we... I should be more tech savvy than this, but we have a, a prototype website, which is, um, um, I'll give you the address. It's asha-tech, T-E-C-H, dot web, W-E-B, dot A-P-P, or app. Um, we'll pop that on yeah, to yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll our socials. It's a bit of a, a yeah. long one. But, um, yeah, just go on there. There's an expression of interest form. It tells you a little bit more about what the project is trying to do. Um, and fill in the expression of interest form, and we'll try and get in touch with you as soon as we can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Sam John from the University of Melbourne um, on some really interesting and worthwhile uh, work for uh, people, or kids with cerebral palsy and, and, and other disabilities. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for Triple R. It's been a pretty big week in the world of artificial intelligence, particularly when we're talking about government regulation. It seems like governments are finally starting to realise it's a thing and come to some kind of response to it. Um, US President Joe Biden yesterday issued an executive order on artificial intelligence, and the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is hosting a summit this week at the spiritual home of Signals Intelligence, Bletchley Park, which uh, was, uh, for those who are nerdy as much as I am, uh, that is where... Alan Turing uh, broke through the Enigma codes in World War II, and so it was the kind of beginning of signals intelligence uh, about, about, about a little bit north of London. Learn I something hope I new every day. I know, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, look, that, that particular summit is, it includes a whole lot of tech people, but it also does have um, the, Europe, uh, the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, and the Prime Minister of Italy, Giorgio Meloni, and, of course, Elon Musk uh, can't be held away from these kinds of things. So he's going to turn up and then had to have some kind of talk with Rishi Sunak afterwards, which I'm sure we're all holding our breath for. Um, <laughs> this is all in addition to the EU last uh, a few months ago passing its first AI regulation law. So governments are proposing all kinds of things and it's it's um, obviously it's a very dynamic space. It's uh, We don't really know where, where it's going. And it's interesting to see, and I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on this, guys, where governments... Who are t- who are traditionally four or five years behind technology, yeah. um, and then it seems like they're they're trying very much to be on the front foot with this. Um, have, have have you had a chance to look at any of any of the kind of proposed measures? I've got I've got I've got a bit of a list here we can kind of discuss. The US um, the US uh, plan has eight points. Um, and it's, so it's an executive order, which is kind of, you know, non-legislative. The president just says this is what's happening now. Um, and so the eight, eight areas that they're covering are safety and security standards for AI. Fair enough. That's pretty standard, you would think? Yep. Uh, privacy protections also pretty standard. Um, equity and civil rights, which I'm glad to see it's in there, but I'm also a little bit surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, consumer rights, not as surprised for that. Jobs, because governments can't not talk about jobs. 
uh, innovation and competition, which is a nice motherhood statement, international leadership, another nice motherhood statement, and AI governance, which is kind of what this whole thing is about, really. Yeah. Mm. Um, I like that that's the last point that yeah, they put in. Like, yeah. oh, we want, we want to make sure that we can control this thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, a, there's a good piece in the conversation um, by a, an academic from the University of New South Wales, Toby Walsh, that kind of goes into um, a, a bit more sort of critical detail of it. One um, one thing that he uh, have identifies is that it fails to talk about how AI is going to be used in warfare, um, which I think is probably one of the scarier ideas. Yep. Um, you know what what will artificial intelligence do, and when when it gets applied uh, in in the in the in the in the theatre of war. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there are some missed opportunities that um, that uh, Toby identifies. Uh, Things like uh, providing guidance to landlords and government programs and government contractors to make sure the AI algorithms aren't being used to discriminate against people. Now, we talked about a little bit about uh, rent tech last week yeah. and the use of discrimination. And certainly AI has been known and to um, discriminate against people uh, based on, you know, the colour of their skin or, you know, what what sex or gender they are. Or even, like, uh, I know that um, it's focused a lot on um, discrimination as well, but even just price fixing, like, making mm. sure that, like, they can um, get the... squeeze the most amount of value out of their um, tenants as possible. So, mm. like, it's just, like... No one's a big fan of uh, dodgy landlords, so no. um, yeah, to help these people um, exploit and discriminate is uh, not ideal. No, it's not. Mm. It's I mean, I mean, the, and the, we've got, I suppose, opportunities here to uh, regulate AI. And and for those who um, I, I, I were listening to Breakfasters yesterday, I jumped on for Tech Talk, and we were talking about the idea of. Uh, effective accelerationism, which is a, a, a sort of a, a buzzwordy, culty kind of thing that um, tech bros and venture capitalists in Silicon Valley are talking about, which is essentially the idea that let's just let AI rip and there's going to be no negative consequences. And that, uh, I is can, that not I, the I, most batshit insane thing you've ever I can only imagine <laughs> negative consequences. Yeah. So so I, I guess it's, it's, it is, it's heartening to see that the... Um, the governments are looking at this with a critical lens certainly mm-hmm. ai can be used for great things you know writing a quick essay or um i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah i mean everyday tasks for individuals yeah. there's there's plenty of um, helpful things whether that's yeah writing job applications or um you know touching up other written things um i guess one of the i've yeah just going off um that analysis from Toby Walsh, um, AI researcher. I think one of the other things that he mentions, um, yeah, there was the, you know the concerns around use in, in military practice. I've lost my train of thought now, and I'm not going to be able to get back to it. That's all. That's all good. I mean, look, it's it's um, and it's not just the U- US that we've been that mm. you know we we mentioned the, the UK as well. This this summit, this talk fest that's happening in the UK. Mm. Um, so it's it's it, they've got about a hundred people turning up, and it is you know it's very media managed. Think, it's very I, slick. It's about the guest list, so I think yeah, uh, you know who who's invited to these discussions and who's kind of uh, importantly left out of the room yeah and 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 who has been left out of the room like we're talking like people who are you know civil rights people civil rights yeah social liberties um yeah yeah. so i think 
it's um, yeah, I, I guess awesome that that you know they're thinking about things that they're announcing. You know that they're that you know they're putting processes in place to look at different aspects, such as you know that that list of eight things. Mm. Um, but who's who's being invited to actually you know give evidence, give propositions um, to yeah to these this decision making because um, it's certainly like 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 you said at the start like governments are usually very late or late in the in the yeah. tech game so there's many other people I, I suppose who have been thinking about some of these concerns um, for many years now and yeah will their input be counted mm. yeah. I, speaking like of like being late to legislation on these kinds of things I think it's a lose lose situation for governments because the the industry is changing and like the technology is evolving so fast in so many different ways and um, taking turns that they're not expecting that to like legislate for possibilities that may not occur or, you know, trying to um, crystal ball it and put mm. legislation. It's like trying to build a, <laughs> trying to build a bridge over a, like a rapidly flowing river in a flood where you're not sure where eventually it's going to end where up. You might, go, you might just have a bridge like. going over some dry land, the rivers, you know, further down the road, you know. So Completely. I just think, yeah, I just think that it's it's great that they're thinking about it and that they're trying to get on the front foot, but it's also that it needs to be done delicately and made sure that they're not restricting um, the, you know, the positive aspects mm. just for the, um, just for out of fear or... And that's that's really true. Like we, we we do need to be optimistic about what AI can do for us. Cautious optimism is always, I think, the best way forward with these kinds of things. Um, I do back to Ash's point. I do I do worry that there were no people from that kind of civil rightsy kind of area in the room at this UK conference. It's all people who. I, I like leaning towards that technological or that that accelerationism thing, where it's like, yeah, it's going to be a great thing, and we're we're, we're just going to do it because we, it's awesome and we can. And that's there is room for that in the discussion. There is absolutely room for that discussion, but that can't be the only attitude. It can't be the only attitude. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think, like for me, like that list of the eight points, you know, it, it makes me a bit suspicious of if that was just kind of a, a bit of a promo. Like this is the stuff we're going to talk about, but we're inviting all of these, you know, mm. big corps or whatever into the room, and you know, maybe maybe we'll discuss those those privacy things just down the end. The end. Yeah, 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 like we're, like the four fifty five where everyone's going for the drinks uh, reception <laughs> with Elon at the end. Um, Touching briefly on the um, EU's law. So the EU has actually put legislation in place um, and scanning over it, it's, it's, it's regulating the use of AI within the EU and we've, we often find that when the EU puts laws in place, the rest of the world kind of follows. Uh, we saw that with the general data protection regulation and other, other things because there's such a massive market. In order to operate within the EU, you need to, I suppose, um, comply with it and then the rest of the world mm. just kind of follow, follows, falls into line. Looking at how the AI Act works in the EU, you in the EU, too many U's because everyone's united. Yeah. Um, so this is this is some analysis from uh, the law firm Minter Ellison, um, which t- it talks about uh, the the it, it puts a risk based regulatory model to assign a risk rating, and there are four risk ratings. Uh, one is unacceptable risk, and anything that any practice that poses an unacceptable risk would be banned in the EU, and those kinds of things would be to uh, systems that deploy subliminable, subliminable, subliminal, or purposeful <laughs> manipulative technologies or techniques that cause harm or exploit people's vulnerabilities or are used for social scoring. So I think that 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 that's cut and dry. That kind of stuff not allowed. 
It's funny that like we're putting that on AI, but if like you intentionally do that, there's no. Well, this <laughs> no, is the thing, right? Yeah, like like dark if you... patterns to get you to purchase like in-game totally microtransactions that... or you know oh. in-app purchases. It's like that's fine because we intentionally want to manipulate. We're people, manipulate, but we don't want the computers to be able to do that on their own volition. Isn't like I, I'm, so, it almost sounds like I described advertising just yet. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, right, which is. Awesome. Yeah. Let's get that in. Let's, let's like, get rid of advertising. And extend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get rid of advertising. I'm yeah. all for that. Um, but not sponsorship on Triple R. That's a completely different <laughs> thing. No. Um, so moving on to the next risk tier, which is um, high risk. Uh, these would be subject to substantive and strict obligations under the AI Act, which must be complied with before they're introduced. Now, examples of that would be uh, systems that are used in critical infrastructure that could put the life and health of, of citizens at risk um, or the safety components in those products or systems which are employed in the administration of justice or the democratic process. So, you know, like AI judges or AI voting the systems. Mm. Although, Because um, oh, yeah. in my mind, I just imagine Robocop showing up and saying, if you want me to search this burglary, uh, just swipe your card here and an FPOS machine comes out his hand. You've got to pay to <laughs> get Robocop justice or something. You know what that is? That's a return to the pay-for-use uh, fire <laughs> yeah, services yeah. Of, of the 1800s. Of ancient, of ancient Rome. Ancient so, Rome, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's um, an interesting idea. Then we've got limited risk, which will be subject to transparency obligations, and that's things like chatbots. Um, so anything, any, anyone who would be would be notified by the system that they're interacting with artificial intelligence. And I think that that's fair enough. If yeah. you're talking to an AI chatbot, I think it's reasonable to be told that, like, if you haven't worked it out already, you're like, hi, yeah. my name is name of company. Yeah, usually like, they put bot in the name. My yeah. name is uh My name is Bank yes. Bankbot. Exactly. Like, I'm here to help you with your banking. Oh god, I don't never want to speak to Bankbot again. <laughs> um and then there are systems which pose minimal or no risk which could be used freely in the single market. So that's AI video games, spam filters, that kind of stuff. Mm. So look, it's I think it's it's soft touch enough that it doesn't pose a huge amount of impost on people who don't necessarily need the impost. But it does, I think, I, th I think perhaps it does strike a decent balance. Yeah. And the fact that it's like a risk matrix where it can be evaluated and you can go up and down on different aspects and um, you, it allows some finessing for a bunch of different scenarios that may arise. Like um, you can't have a, you can't have a ambulance that has an FPOS pay on demand as soon as they arrive kind of thing. But, um, and only only uh, patrolling certain areas because AI has told them to. Mm. But, um, you know, you can have uh, that kind of stuff helping in the hospital to uh, diagnose um, or to evaluate at what order people would go into triage or something like that. Like, it's not you, a bad idea. Yeah, so you can see, like, where it would be helpful, but, like, that could be considered high risk because it's helping in um, evaluating people's... Um, in, a, in a health setting, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But there's no, like, malice or anything behind that. That's just, like, a, a, a human's doing that anyway in all emergency rooms around the world. So mm. if you're just getting an AI to do that, like, why? Um, what's the what's the issue? Mm. But, um, yeah. yeah, I guess I, um, I think it was pointed to in, in yeah, the other um, research that we were looking at, but you know, that there's the bias of, of um, AI models. And I guess we have, you know, in hospitals or in um, personal, uh, you know, health settings, you have training for staff that's, uh, you know, anti-bias anti, anti -bias or anti, um, I don't know what they call it now, but I feel like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know um, what I diverse, mean? Diversity inclusion kind of stuff or, or more, more like... Yeah, um... also around, um, I guess... 
inclusivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those are some of the terms that, yeah. that are used. Um, <laughs> um, but if we're you know if we're trying to hold ourselves to better standards as as people and how we service in a you know provide clinical service position provision for example, then um, then we need to make sure that the data that our models are are based on um, and not um, yeah and not you know servicing those same biases. Absolutely, as 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 we always I feel say, like that's garbage inter- in, garbage out. Yeah, that's yeah. the eternal struggle for all AI, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah it, it, it's it's a massive one. It just kind of came to mind again talking, I guess, about um, yeah, those the, the risk and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Independently yours, Triple R, one hundred two point seven. Now. I hate. I'm just going to preface this by saying I hate talking about Elon as much as we do. Yeah. But he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, which, as as um as you said, Dan, just testosterone. Yeah, that's it. But um, it he, he remember when he decided that Tesla was going to have like a truck. Yes. Yeah. And it was called the Cybertruck, and it was the ugliest piece of. <laughs> How, how, how do you describe it, Dan? Uh, it's the Homer car from The Simpsons, it where is... he uh, went forward and designed it, despite everyone else's uh, the actual designers' objections to how ugly it would look. Mm. And, and and Ash, your your first impressions of seeing the picture? Yeah, I mean, I, I maybe I I think I just filter out Elon um, <laughs> from my various feeds, but um, yeah, fresh eyes um, looking at this thing. It, yeah, the the Homer mobile, um, a monster truck, like if. It, yeah, can I drive it up and down like the monster truck? Like yeah, and like a, a track with a, that with would a bit be of fun. Tank in, that would be fun. It's got a, it's got some elements of tank in there yeah. as well. I think. Yeah, and he, here's the the thing that I might be controversial. I don't mind it. I'd like no, well, yeah, okay. In, in the up. same way, <laughs> in the same way that like like it's it's certainly ugly, but it's like the same way that Yeezys are like they're horrific, but they're at least trying to do something. New and different with design. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate it for that aspect. So pushing, I, pushing the boundaries of design is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I have nothing else positive to say no. about it. Well, look, uh, you, you, you too, Dan, could be the only... Now, when we first heard about this thing a couple of years ago, we, I, we did justifiably laugh at how ridiculous it was. Yes. He still thinks that he's going to make 200,000 of them a year, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the, the news out of the Joe Rogan interview. Also, the fact that um, he, uh, he also wants to still fight uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know why that is still a thing. Yeah. Um, but, look, it's, it's uh, a, bit of, a bit of lightness in a horrific, horrific world that it includes Elon Musk in it. Um, <laughs> and if you want a Cybertruck, you can, I'm imagining, spend a lot of money to get one uh, very soon. Guys, it has been an absolute pleasure to make radio with you this evening. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you very much to uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Sam John from the University of Melbourne, doing some really great work in helping people with cerebral palsy uh, engage in the video gaming world as uh, everyone should be able to do. Big fans are hearing about that. Yeah, totally. Um, you, you have been listening to Bite Into It. Uh, we've uh, been here for the last hour. We'll be back next week. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.